Welcome, everybody, to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History, and a writer on the Segunda Caeta blog. I am pleased to be joined by the zombie princess, Jimmy Jacobs, who participated in one of the 100, his I Quit match against BJ Whitmer from March 1st, 2008, IWA Mid-South. Jimmy, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, including me in your book. Uh, I could have had you in more. I think you know. Uh, looking back on it, you've had you've definitely over the course of your career spilled a fair amount of your own blood and other people's blood as well. Um, this BJ Whitmer feud, especially, lasted a really long time, um, and this was kind of one thing kind of interesting about this. This isn't the I think part of the main feud with BJ Whitmer, right? This was kind of an offshoot. Yeah, well, B.J. Whitmer and I had a, uh, a history at IW Mid-South starting back in like 2003. Uh, so there was a certain amount of time we were feuding in both um, Ring of Honor and IW Mid-South. It was interesting because because we were uh, having this conversation, I went back and I watched the match today, which I maybe have never seen or maybe if I saw it, it was years ago. And it was interesting because on commentary, apparently the match that was supposed to take place that night was me versus Jack Thriller and the uh, the legendary and, Jack Thriller. I consider yeah. myself a relatively maniacal professional wrestling fan, but I admit that I had not heard of Jack Thriller. <laughs> Jack Thriller was uh, one of Dan Severn's students. I liked I liked Jack. He, he was good, and for whatever reason, he couldn't do the match. And so he got me and BJ uh, instead, and that then that led to uh, me and BJ doing an, a barbed wire match, I think about a month or so later there. Yeah, and this was uh, – so the impetus for this feud wasn't necessarily the same thing that was going on in Ring of Honor, which I, I want to talk about because that whole saga with you and Whitmer in Ring of Honor is one of my – uh, favorite indie wrestling things in the last 20 years. So I want to talk a, a fair amount about that. But the basis for this match was that you were feuding with Jim Fannin, who was the, for folks that aren't as deep in the, uh, in the woods of mid 2000s indie wrestling as I am. And, and uh, Jim Fannin was a, a part owner of IW Mid-South or had a, owned a piece of it. I don't know exactly. Ian took some of his money. I don't know exactly how it worked. Um, and was upset with you because you had tossed the IWA Mid-South world title in a trash can. So tell, tell me a little about how the world, that the world title ended up in a crash can. Yeah, not my finest moment. I was young. I was 21 years old and I had just started um, wrestling for a living. In 2005, it was like, oh, I'm making enough money to to pay my bills with this. And so I had no other source of income. And Ian had canceled like three shows that weekend, I think. Um, and, you know, he, he had a his, his son was born. James Christopher was, was born around that time. And I think that had something to do with it. But either way, you know, as a 21-year-old kid that needs to pay your rent, I needed to scramble and make some money really quick. That was the end of the month. And uh, Danny Daniels, who ran AAW, had joked with me, if you ever want to come throw the belt in the trash. Um, and after Ian canceled the shows, I jokingly texted him, you know, I got the title. I don't have any shows anymore that weekend. And then we started to have a serious conversation about it. And it's not something I felt good about. And I called Ian and I was like, hey, man, I just, I need... 
a, a few hundred bucks for rent and he said he was going to send it to me and he didn't. And, you know, so I went to the show in Chicago with the IW Mid-South title the, and to one of Ian's rival companies. And I threw the belt in the trash uh, for, for a few hundred bucks. And it's not something I'm proud of. And Ian was hurt. He was very hurt. He called me and he was crying. Um, this is not something I felt good about then or certainly feel good about now. And, uh, but Ian was quick to, uh, quick to forgive me. Uh, Jim Fannin, on the other hand, was not quick to forgive me. So there's a part of that story uh, that played out you know, at the shows that was true to real life. Jim did not like me. He probably didn't want me ever coming back. Um, and he let it be known. So that, that part of it was, was legitimate, right? So Ian forgave you, Jim Fanta did not, because you had, this was a couple of years after that, right? This was, uh, had been a while. I, I was watching the match a little before you, you were talking about your promo, it had been two years. And had the feud with Fanon been going on that long, or was it kind of an on and off thing? No, so I, so it, it was what, Thanksgiving of 05 when I threw the belt in the, in the trash can, and then I stuck around for a couple more months. I dropped the title and then I, I left for, I think, like a couple years. I think maybe I popped up once in 06. I don't know. Um, or I, I left for a while, whatever that time frame was. Um, and I think I started working again for him again. And I'm probably going to get this wrong. I was out for a while. I came back. And when I came back, I believe. We continued the story with Jim Fannin, uh, you know, the story being that Ian has allowed me to come back to the company, Jim saying this man should never be allowed back uh, in IW Mid-South. Yeah. And um, so he was originally, had you been feuding with the, the aforementioned Jack Thriller before this? It was just I, the... I suppose so. And I only really know this because they talked about it on commentary. It was, it was supposed to be an I quit match with me and Jack Thriller. So we must have been in the middle of something. And I do remember cutting a promo about Jack Thriller once, like at, at home, you know, uh, for maybe even this match. And for whatever reason, he couldn't do it. And uh, I think it probably worked out probably for the better. I don't think me versus Jack Thriller would have made it into your book. I mean, maybe you've got you're you're you've been in a I quit matches uh, like a half a dozen or so I quit matches over the course of your career. I, I, the ones I've seen, I remember always really enjoying. Um, what was your insp what kind of matches did you take your inspiration from when it came to I quit matches? Obviously, there's a lot of very famous ones. Um, did you have like an idea in your head? Like, I want to do something real, something like Flair Funk or I want to do something like Foley rock or it's always tricky when I quit matches to have good finishes. I'm, I'm trying to remember if I, I did want to take anything from any of those. I quit matches are one of my, my favorite matches to do. I feel like there's a, there's a lot to play with there. I think it's a good gimmick that lends itself um, to the match a lot. It gives you something to work with. Sometimes, you know, a gimmick can kind of like work against you. Um, but I quit matches are, are one of my favorite ones to do so I'm not sure that I took particular inspiration from any uh any one famous one other than it was just something it was a playground that I felt comfortable playing in so let's start at the at the beginning of this you came out with the cane tell me a little about the history of the cane 
the the cane was a prop and it it was something I bought and it was one of the ones where you 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 pull it out and there's like a sword in there, right? And I used to walk around with a railroad spike, so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I got a cane? So you have a little prop, a little thing to come out with, a little thing to work with. Uh, and then I have the the spike uh, put in there in, in lieu of the blade. And so that's uh, that's what I did. It was, a, it was a cool gimmick. At some point uh, at a Ring of Honor show in Chicago, like I lost the, the top part of it, and I uh, never never kept on with it. But uh, when I saw when I when I saw it in the match, I was like, yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool gimmick. <laughs> and so the apocryphal, and you had the railroad spike as well, and the, uh, the sort of story behind, apocryphal story, I don't know if it's apocryphal, not the story behind the railroad spike is that it was given to you by Kevin Sullivan. Was it actually given to you by Kevin Sullivan, or was that just sort of a, a bit of uh, wrestling, uh, wrestling gaga? <laughs> um, I think this is what happened. If my memory serves me correctly, um, I stole it from Kevin Sullivan. And by stole, I mean I stole it from Kevin Sullivan. Uh, I was working for uh, Ed Farhat, who, uh, Eddie, Eddie Jr., not, uh, obviously not the Sheik, but his son. So the Sheik's son, Sabu's cousin, Eddie Farhat. And he, had, he would bring in Kevin Sullivan. And Eddie, like, shorted me on pay, I think. And so... Uh, I saw this spike laying around. It's not, I'm sure it's not like a prized possession of Kevin Sullivan's. Um, but at like 19 years old, uh, I think I stole the spike. I, it doesn't sound, I don't, I'm not painting myself as sounding like the greatest guy, like this sellout that threw the title in the trash, then stealing a, I mean, it's a 40 cent railroad spike. Uh, but I think that's what happened. Um, so I don't think Kevin Sullivan passed it down to me. Although I'm sure if you, you know, I, I know Kevin Sullivan now and I'm sure he would laugh at it. I mean, the spirit of stealing the spike, it kind of feels like the spirit of Kevin Sullivan. That guy's not a guy who, who notoriously played by any sort of rules, right? He couldn't begrudge you a pocket. I love the fact that it feels like the, uh, the story of indie wrestling is one stiffed payday after Another, just like that, you talk to anybody about indie wrestling. It's yeah, you know, I was supposed to get paid a hundred bucks, and the guy paid me fifty. Or, you know, I was supposed to get seventy-five, and Ed Farrow was supposed to give me forty, and I took twenty in Kevin Sullivan's spike. That's probably about what it was. Uh, yeah, it's it's not an honorable thing to ever take anything from anybody in the locker room. It's uh, actually probably one of the one of the worst things you can do, and as a, as a wrestler, to be an untrustworthy uh, person. Person, but <laughs> I, I, if, look, believe me, uh, not if, if the worst thing you did when you were nineteen or twenty was steal a railroad spike. I've got I uh, I was a rugby player in college, and I think at one time we had a, a contest that we would go across the university and steal. See, you could steal the the biggest or most elaborate thing uh, from the university. I think the guy that won stole the uh, radio out of the car that was wrecked on the in the uh quad for drunk driving awareness he like boosted the radio out of that so it's the kind of thing you do when you're 19 or 20 under any circumstances even if you're uh, wrestling or not um so you had a I want to get into this match, but I want to talk a little more about about the feud about Whitmer he is he, he's probably your either him or Alex Shelley would probably be the most famous Jimmy Jacobs opponent. If you said the name Jimmy Jacobs to a, a fan of professional wrestling and indie wrestling in the 2000s, that would be the two opponents. How did, tell me a little about how the Whitmer feud started and how it progressed through the years. 
I mean, BJ Whitmer and I were uh, tag team champions in Ring of Honor. And we were just kind of thrown together uh, because BJ was teaming with Dan Moff and Dan Moff uh, was had to sort of leave Ring of Honor unexpectedly. BJ needed a partner and I was a guy that was coming. Gabe really didn't quite have a place for me. And so we were put together. We had about a six month run as tag team champions and it wasn't, it, it didn't hit on all cylinders. So we had an obligatory breakup and you have the obligatory feud after the breakup. And in 2006, this was, Gabe wasn't very high on me. Gabe's Polsky, the booker for Ring of Honor. And so we were going to do a little feud with me and BJ, and I think he was going to sort of drop me after that. BJ was going to kind of beat me. I was going to leave. BJ was going to go and continue doing his thing. They were feuding, he was feuding with, uh, the, they were doing a CZW invasion angle at the time. Uh, but as um, fortune has it, as legend goes, I came up with the, the Ballad of Lacey, which was a, uh, a music video and a song I wrote for Lacey, who was managing me at the time. And Gabe freaking loved it. And finally, like Gabe was going to invest in me. He saw what it was. Like, oh, I see this guy now. I see what he can do. Before that, he, he kind of kept me around, but didn't really like me that much. But I was kind of popular. But So BJ and I, we're going to have one match first in Detroit. And it was a good match. It was good. I had my working boots on. I knew that this was the start of something for me, potentially. I knew that this was a battle lace. He had just come out. It's my first match with that is the song. And so I had a lot of stuff in my head we can, that we can do. One of the spots that BJ and I had done literally every other time we wrestled, which probably maybe four other times, BJ and I had been in the South, and I think we had a tag in Ring of Honor as well before that. He would go for the powerbomb off the top rope. And we're both standing on the top rope, and I would turn into her Karana. And this day in Detroit, his foot slipped from underneath him, and basically he ends up slipping backwards to the outside and power bombs me. Mariah head hits the top rope, middle rope, bottom rope, and apron. And we go down this like this horrific scene. If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube oh, and I've look up <laughs> look up Jimmy Stewart's, uh, uh, BJ Whitmer power bomb. It's the, the the first one where it looks like we almost die. And fair enough, we could have. And that was the start of something. We had, this, we had this, this good match, and also this catastrophic thing happens in the match, but we both continue the match, and it was, it was kind of this, this cool moment that set the stage for a feud that would um, that anything could happen. That was the feeling after that. And you know, we had another match in, uh, in, in, was it in uh, New York City where he, we were both staying on the top rope and he like power bombs me off the top rope over the guardrail into like the sea, a sea of people, which is another sort of crazy sight. And BJ Whitmer and I, uh, BJ helped elevate me for that whole year. He helped bring me from like a low level guy and he always pushed me in the ring. And we had a whole series of matches in, you know, 2006, 2007 uh, that really helped establish me as um, a top guy in Ring of Honor it was after doing a steel cage m match with him in Detroit that my next thing after that was to, to come in and do the Age of the Fall, which was a faction with me and Necro Butcher and now Seth Rollins as the top sort of heel faction in the company. 
Right, you did. I, I mentioned I booked that it was sort of a shift from emo to screamo. You did kind <laughs> yeah. of like you did kind of a musical shift, right? From like, right. Uh, what was your musical influence for Ballad of Lacey? What was this? What was the stuff you were listening to? This was mid two thousands. This was the emo uh, height of emo uh, punk. See, I, I wasn't an emo kid. It, it was Gabe's idea to have me as an emo character, um, and I painted my nails. But that's it. And so uh, Gabe texted me or emailed me late 05, early 06. He goes, hey, I don't, I don't know what emo is, but people tell your, me you're emo, and I know I want to slap emo kids. So can we do an emo gimmick? And I, I didn't know what emo was. I remember I uh, instant messaged Colt Cabana on AOL's Messenger, and I was like, hey, Gabe sent me this. And Cabana goes, he sent me, Cabana like sent me a link about emo and he goes, go and be the Raven of 2006. He was like, dive into this and, uh, you know, and so that's what I did and I emailed Gabe back. I said, hey, I think we can do this, um, but uh, I think the best way to do it is if I'm in love with my manager, Lacey, and she doesn't reciprocate my love. And so I didn't know what emo was. I just, I was in a, like I like pop punk back in like high school. So I was in a pop punk band in high school. So I went to my buddy who I was in a band with. I was like, Hey man, you got to help me out. I'm dying here. Like, can we write the song together? And so we just wrote the song together. And when we did it, I was like, this is it. This is going to be the thing uh, for me. And at that point it was. I mean, it's funny. They always say that the greatest professional wrestling gimmicks are extensions of who the person really was. So I would assume that you had, you know, dashboard uh, the entire dashboard confessional uh thing on 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 uh on lp and it's sunday's passage i assumed you were in it so the fact that you were able to pull off such a convincing emo rock gimmick without that being a thing that you actually a scene that you were actually into that's pretty impressive i i i am literally shocked i would have just assumed that i was assuming you were going to name me 10 emo bands and seven of them were too obscure that i hadn't heard of them uh but <laughs> So yeah, that, that was so that was interesting. So you know, when you did the Age of the Fall, I, I thought it was like a legit, a legitimate musical shift. There's there's people who are doing this now too, um, and I thought you know you don't see. I think one of the things you don't see that much in wrestling is stories that have a consistent beginning, middle, and end. Like most of the time in wrestling booking, they're good at building to a moment or having a moment. We, I actually you talked about the. CZW ROH uh, feud. And I actually just did a pod on that a couple of weeks ago um, talking about that. And that was the thing where they had the great, great payoff, but the build wasn't amazing and the fi- the finish after the payoff wasn't amazing. It was kind of like, it, it all came together for one match. But I mean, the thing I loved about the Lazy Feud is that really did, that lasted, what, two or, you know, a year and a half, two years, and kind of made a sensible progression from point A to point to point E, I guess, to Lacey, uh, I guess she left wrestling, right? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the story was it was an uh, unreciprocated love and she would just kind of use me to try to get her way until finally uh, I convinced her. I, I beat BJ Whitmer and she agrees to go on a date with me. And then finally, at the end of these this, this date series of videos that we did together, we end up sleeping together. Finally, Jimmy Jacobs gets what he wants. And then it turns out that that's, that's just not it. Like he doesn't feel anything in that moment. And it creates the shift for this whole new character um, coming out of it. You know, we're in this, in this promo where the age of the fall debuts, I, you know, the character Jimmy Jacobs goes, uh, I thought love would save, but you know, nothing saves. And this, this more um, 
you know, to me, and look, this is all artsy fartsy from the eye of the artist, from the eye of the performer stuff. To me, the Jimmy Jacobs character was a guy that always looked through the world from a deficit, hoping that something else would be the thing to complete him. And that was the character, just hoping that maybe it's this and maybe it's that and maybe it's this and maybe it's that. But deep down, he's this just incredibly insecure, even even at a, even at the height of, you know, the stuff we're doing at the age of the fall. You know, when, when Lacey ends up like trying to recruit Austin Aries, like you can see Jimmy Jacobs is actually like super fragile, even though uh, e- even though he portrays himself as this 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 cult leader type guy. Um, and that was always the character for me. And then finally, the um, the last Ring of Honor uh, match I ever had, um, you know, Lacey came back and we went off into the sunset together. And then the, the like last year, a few months ago, uh, GCW also had Lacey come back. We did a little uh, on, on their emo night and I serenaded her with Bella Lacey and we left again together. So that's the end of the story. The end of the story is Jimmy Jacobs and Lacey uh, go off into the sunset. Go off for the all right, and you assume that it's over now. If they run emo night too, do you have a second song that you're uh, prepping for it? Or, well, I mean, look, there was I, I had the Ballad of Lacey, I had Victory of uh, Victory of Love, that was called Victory Love and Kiss to Kill. Those were the it was like three three music videos I wrote during that uh, you know songs music videos I wrote during that whatever eight no about a, about a year long period i did the first one i thought this is it and then gabe like over the summer i think it was goes i think we need a new music video as if i'm like some sort of musician or music video maker but it's like apparently i am now oh. that's right all right so let's that i i definitely wanted to talk about that because like i said I, i'm an enormous fan of that entire feud I, I remember it very well when it was happening and have a lot of fondness for it in hindsight as well. But let's get back to this match, which was, again, part of a different feud. Um, so I thought there was a couple of really cool uh, ideas in this match. I thought the idea of Whitmer smashing you up, du- uh, duct taping you to the corner, beating you with the canes, putting you in the figure four, and having you pass out, and, but Fanon refusing to let the match end that way it was a really nice a nice bit of wrestling. I mean, you know, I always say with, with booking and matches, it's very easy to throw on too many different ideas and end up sort of swallowing the actual wrestling in the match. But I thought this was a great little idea. Was this your idea? Whitmer's idea? Fanon's idea? I have no idea who, who came up with that. It, it feels like an Ian Rotten idea, to be honest with you, that that feels like something he, he would uh, he would do. Look, when I watched it today, it was like watching it for the first time. I remember the finish. That's the only thing I remembered from the match. So, you know, when he's got me uh, duct taped up and I end up, I'm, I, I rip one arm away, but I've still got like one arm. I thought this was a really cool moment. I've still got like one arm duct taped to the ropes and I'm going down the ropes with the one arm duct tape and I'm like stomping BJ and jump jumping on him while I'm still tied up. I was like, that's some gritty shit, man. Good for you, Jimmy Jacobs, 2008. Uh, and I thought, yeah, the, the, the stuff in the, um, in the figure four with him slamming me with a kendo stick over and over and passing out from the blood, uh, was cool. And then you think, Oh, you know, to your point earlier about like shit, uh, I quit match finishes, uh, you go, okay, well he passes out from the blood, you know, and look, not to say that's always crap. When Steve Austin, Bret Hart did it, it was amazing. 
But, you know, in, in whatever, 10 years later, nine years later, that's a, not a satisfying finish. So I thought it was, it was a cool thing to have Fan go, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen, and, uh, and, and keep the match going. Uh, and ultimately that, that was the part of the demise of, of B.J. Whitmer is that Fannin just couldn't, couldn't leave it with Jimmy Jake was passed out and bloody. He needed to uh, see me humiliated more. Right. It actually probably did, it sounded like. It sounded like probably, probably Fanny was saying, nah, beat him some more. I'm still mad about the garbage can two years later. Um, then you guys do a railroad spike hockey fight, which I just loved. I, the the Takiyama Fry moment when Takiyama Fry did it in Pride was one of the great, maybe one of the my favorite individual moments in sports ever. It's like up there with one of the a great dunk or an amazing home run. As a wrestling spot, very rarely is that Fry Takiyama spot done well. It's very difficult. I mean, those guys were so... I mean, that was the thing about it. Throwing full force punches as hard as they could into each other's face. And obviously it's hard to do that in a wrestling match and make it look good. It's almost always a miss for me. The railroad spikes were not. And I thought, you know, I think it's, I mean, the fact that you guys could pull off realistically fast stabbing each other with a railroad spike and not actually stab a divot into anybody's head. I don't know. Maybe you did. And have it look good. was pretty, it was pretty good. I don't know. Maybe did you just stab each other and say, we'll go, we'll go from there. Well, you know, it, it's a it's a spot I had come up with that we did in uh, our cage match in uh, in Chicago. I'm sorry, in Detroit in, in 2007 for Ring of Honor. So it was a it was a callback to to that match. Um, it, when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, BJ stabbing me! It looks like he's stabbing me. It looks like I'm being stabbed." And I've look, I've stabbed people with the spike before. I've been stabbed with the spike before. It's not too bad. It's it's about as um, you know, I, I've had it before where a, a guy loses his blade in the match and, and I go, oh, okay, well, this will do. And I stab him in the head and it's just a little poke and you get, you get, uh, you bleed off it. So it looked like he was, he was getting me. <laughs> He's getting you pretty good. All right. Well, I was going to, I was going to compliment you on, on your close magic, but if it was just stabbing, I'm fine with that too. This is, hey, my st- I know my stuff is magic. I, stuff is- I, I, I'm pretty good about, you know, hitting people in a, in a safe way, like 99.99% of the time. And this was, I think, a little harder to do in the one than the one in the cage match because uh, both you guys' hair was a lot shorter. Like, long hair feels like you can, you know, B.J. Whitmer used to have that long, greasy hair. Here he had kind of shaved it off. Was I actually kind of like the the B.J. Whitmer look here with the, with the short buzz cut. It's kind of a nice B.J. Whitmer look. But I think it's harder to do a, a plausible stab if you can't have hair whipping around, you know, sort of, uh, you know, um, obscuring the vision of the audience a little bit when you're doing it. Kind of just, you can see the, the poking into the forehead. Maybe you couldn't as much there, so... Yeah, the, the the long hair can certainly be a, a tool in the in the theater of uh, of the illusion. Yeah, and then let's talk a little about the finish because it's a, it is a, a hell of a finish. Basically, you make uh, B.J. Whitmer uh, quit by giving him a homemade vasectomy with a railroad spike, right? <laughs> you you are a, <laughs> you are a moil 
as my people say in this, and you were you were circumcising BJ Whitmer with a railroad spike. And so who came up with I'm gonna stab you in the dick as hard as I can with a spike? And why in God's name did BJ Whitmer agree to have that done to him? Well, I, I believe it was my finish. I don't wanna like plant my flag in the ground and go, I definitely came up with that, but I I think I did. And the reason I think I did is because I used it again uh, for my I Quit match with uh, with John Moxley in 2010, a couple years later for Dragon Gate USA. And I don't think I would have recycled the finish if BJ had come up with it. I think I my idea, I'll use it once, I'll use it again. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it came off pretty well. Look, it's like, you know, once you do all the crazy stuff, it's like, what more is there to do that satisfying that hasn't been, you know, sort of bastardized and been done to death all, all the time. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think this came off as a, as a pretty good finish there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the two thousands version of, uh, of, of uh, Magnum TA drag drag into Tully Blanchard's eye, but instead of his, instead of that eye, it's a different eye, a more sense, even more sensitive eye. The kids gets poked really hard. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's I you know I, I think the thing about IWA Mid South as a promotion is that they ran so frequently, right? I mean that was a promotion that ran a ton, like you know sometimes sometimes three times a week. I mean this was their five hundredth show. Uh, and so, and they clear, and they probably have run another 500 since then, at least. I mean, they're still, yeah, IW Mid South somehow is, I don't know how many times they've emotionally closed their doors and then reopened four months later, but it's happened a lot, right? So I think the thing about IW Mid South, because it's got so much, is that sometimes matches, even really great matches, are kind of fall a little to the wayside in history, even for like, you know, hardcore wrestling nerds who try to watch everything. I, and so this is a match I'm not sure. I, I don't think it's the ma- uh, certainly probably one of your less seen matches against Whitmer. The ROH stuff is a lot more known. But this was my, I, I kind of was a freak when putting this book together. And I was like, well, I'm going to put a Jimmy Jacobs, BJ Whitmer match in here. Or a Jimmy Jacobs, Colt Cabana match. I'm doing something from that era. So I watched them all. And uh, and then this was definitely the one that I, I had remembered really loving in the time, and then watching it again, I was like, yeah, I think this is the this is the one. This is the one that I think comes together from moment moment one to to the end the best. Yeah, I I, I think this is our best match. I think this is me and BJ's best match. And like you said, it's it's even the the barbed wire match we did, you know, a month later has um, you know more people have seen, but. I think the I Quit match was like like you said the one where everything came together. Um, you know, I, look, I, I'm we're all uh, harsh critics of our work. So when I say I watched this and went, "Hey man, that was a that was a pretty darn good match," uh, I don't say that about a whole bunch of my stuff. And this this was definitely uh, I remember it being one of my favorites with him. And when I watched it again, I go, "Yeah, I see why it was. It was pretty good." Where does this land in your personal? Um, uh, Rolodex of I quit matches because you've had I, I, I checked cage match for this to do a little research and I saw seven. Now that uh, cage match is not um, is not the most not ex- ever going to cover every single indie show in the world. But where does this land versus the Moxley one or the Ryan Boz one or Zach Gowan? Does that have a Zach Gow and I quit match? It was Zach Gow and I quit match, 2013. I kind of want to see it. I don't know how much IXICW is easily available uh, in the in, out there in the world, but uh, I'm kind of curious how you made, where you stabbed Zach Gowan to make him quit. Yeah, I, 
I, I probably recycle the same finish knowing me. Um, that's interesting. I don't remember that. I have zero, zero recollection of that. And this, this is, this is definitely one of my favorites. I mean, the, the three I remember are, uh, Aries in, in ring of honor and then BJ here and, uh, Moxley at dragon gate USA. Um, the Moxley one, I remember it was on uh, whatever I pay-per-view at the time. And so it felt a bit rushed for me. Like I like, I think this match is like 20 and change. And for me, you need about that much time for me, for the way I like to work. You need about that much time to tell you, tell your story. Uh, right. Uh, th- this is probably, if I had to pick probably my favorite. Over the over the Zach Allen one you don't remember. I remember yeah. at one point really liking the Ryan Boz match. I probably have not watched it since two thousand nine, but I remember thinking, "Oh, this is pretty good." I didn't really have a, a a tremendous history or opinion of Ryan Boz, but I remember thinking, like when I picked it up on tape trading or something like that, I was like, oh, "I want to see a Jimmy Jacobs." Play. I'll watch every Jimmy Jacobs like quit match. I remember liking that one a, a lot. I, I, don't, I don't remember that one either, to be honest with you. It sounds like – that at least sounds like something that happened. Me and Zach <laughs> Gowan in an I Quit match doesn't even sound like something that, that happened uh, for me. Uh, dude, Ryan Boz and I, we, we actually have pretty pretty darn good chem- chemistry. Uh, there's some guys you just like have good chemistry with. And me and Boz had a – we had a few that were uh, actually pretty cool matches. Yeah, there you go. I, I, he's a guy who – I think one of those guys you all, I always kind of – felt was surprised didn't have a career you know like was all those guys like i felt like ryan boz could have had a moment at some point for somewhere uh and, and maybe and maybe didn't but had that sort of you know was a big guy and had a lot of talent it's always yeah. like you know like a basket you know, like a basketball player You're like hey feels like if he got on the right team he could do something as the sixth or seventh man off the bench but never gets on the right team and ends up playing in europe maybe ryan boz felt a little like that a little uh jordan crawford-ish if you were gonna use an nba analogy um so let's. I want to talk a little uh, about how you. So you were pretty young in this match, right? You were. You started your career super young. What, how old were you when you started wrestling? I was fifteen when I had my first match. That's that's pretty. That seems almost irresponsible. That's <laughs> like, too, that's too young to be a pro wrestler. Kind yeah. of feels like it's too young to be a pro wrestler. I didn't you end up being a pro wrestler at fifteen years old? Uh, my my brother trained at a local school. And I, I was 14 at, the, at that time and I would just hang around and I would like record the shows. I would do like websites for the guys. GeoCities? Would, this had to be like GeoCities back then, uh, right? Angel Fire websites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I did like a handful of them for, for different – and I wasn't – I didn't know how to make websites. I wasn't good at it. But it was, it was just what can I do to be a part of the show? And I would, I would record the shows. Then I would like I would play the music at, at, at the shows, set up the chairs, whatever. And one of the local companies um, that my brother worked for, they needed a referee on one of the days, and so I I kind of weaselled my way into refereeing this match. And then I kind of started weasel my way into to training. And then uh, a few months later, I had a first match, and it wasn't good, but it was a first match, and uh, that's how it began. This was in Wisconsin. Michigan. Michigan, okay. I think your earliest cage match is, is something from Wisconsin, though I guess everything else is from Michigan, and I guess that makes sense. Do you remember the Blitzkrieg kid? You that's my t- brother. Oh, that's your brother. So you worked your brother in a time limit draw in Plateville, Wisconsin. Is your, yes, is the Plateville, early, Wisconsin. 
Is your earliest yes, regard? So your brother, I mean, was he somebody who went on to do wrestling at a more serious level, or did he go on and get a regular job and like a like a real person? <laughs> he he's a he's a he got his PhD in mathematics from Dartmouth, and he's a math professor now. Okay. Uh, but he was talented; like he could have been he could have been good. He worked, um, you know, for for Carmine Despirito up in uh, MAW. I don't know if you remember that company. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you remember uh, Dino Bambino, but he started teaming with Dino as his brother, Bobby Bambino. And I remember Dino. I will admit I do not remember Bobby. Yeah, so like Dino and Bobby against uh, Jason Cronin and uh, CM Punk was, was a feud there for a bit. And they had like Sherry Martell come in. They did a TLC match with Sherry Martell and Dave Prezak on either side. Oh, I've definitely seen that match then. So I, I, so I, I now, I, I definitely remember the TLC match with Sherry Martell and Dave Prezak. So I've yeah. definitely, so I've seen your brother wrestle that I'll have to go back and watch that with that knowledge now. Yeah. He, he was, he was pretty talented, but yeah, the real world got him. So Math professors. I mean, it's not like, you know, not like, oh, yeah, he's working in a garage. He's working, uh, you, you know, night cashier at a, at a, at a, at a pack and save somewhere. Right? It's a math professor. That's probably a more sensible career, right? So you, are you the dark, the, the, the black sheep of your family then? Your mom, your, oh, mom, yeah. your mom go, oh. you know, your brother is teaching. <laughs> And my, my my father was a, was a federal judge, you know. My other brother, my brother's a got his PhD in mathematics from an Ivy League school, and I'm the one that's like, all right, where where are my new pink tights, mom? Do you know where my tights are? Yeah, that's funny. Now, you know, look, like, we all we all make our own different our our own roads through this uh, world, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm happy with the choices I've made in my life, all of yeah. them, even the bad ones. Okay, right? Yeah, we. Uh... You are you are where if you aren't where you are now, unless you make a mistake or two along the way and learn from it for sure. Um, so you you so you started out in, in Michigan at, at fifteen. So when was your first like? How old were you when you had your first like? You know, semi break. So I don't know if that would be ROH or would be. I guess it would be IW Mid South before would be where you get kind of on the radar of folks who aren't in Michigan. Yeah, so it was a lot of just working small indie companies, and you know the the bigger ones in Michigan. You know, when I by the time I'm sixteen, seventeen, I'm I'm working all the top places in Michigan and a lot of smaller indies in Indiana and Illinois and Ohio and that sort of thing. It was Idaho Mid South. I first went down there in late two thousand two, and then in two thousand three, Alex Shelley. Uh, started driving down with me and he and I started wrestling each other. And that's the first time I had, you know, buzz. That was the first time that people were talking about Jimmy Jacobs. I was doing the the furry boot thing, like a little mini, mini Brody. And people thought that was fun. And Alex Shelley was a heck of a wrestler. And we had matches that people, people started to like, and that got us noticed by, you know, Norm Connors in Pittsburgh and CZW in Philly and then ring of honor. And, um, 2003 was a fun year, man. Yeah, that's uh, you. You get uh, you'd get the Ian speech where you'd see that he'd bring in the two guys who drove together, and then he would give the he'd get on the microphone and give the Ian speech about how he's been wrestling for this many years, and these two young guys are the future of what's going on. It was like the cla- the uh, the. I, I remember when we used to write reviews of that stuff, we'd always talk about oh, here comes Ian Ian Rotten's giving his uh, his. Um, Elks Club speech about these two kids. I remember you guys got the Elks Club speech. I was like, all right, well, if he had given somebody the Elks Club speech, that usually means he does, he's certainly booked enough wrestlers over the course of his career that he has a sense of who's going somewhere and who isn't. Yeah, I mean, look, he's been right. He's been right a lot of the time. Sometimes he's not right, but uh, you know, 
mostly anybody who's anybody now in the wrestling business has walked through uh, the the doorway of either the mid south. Yeah, I've I've been I've been I've DM'd Ian a couple times. I want to get him on this podcast because he's I've I've got one of his Chris Hero matches in the book. One of those matches where they worked in front of like thirty five people and tried to rip each other's knees out. Yeah. Uh, I, I love I love that stuff. We did a whole a whole zine on that actually of just Ian Rotten working. Uh, me and a friend of mine just did a zine that was all uh, reviewing Ian Rotten matches that were all worked almost exclusively on the mat. Uh, every he's got obviously his reputation as the, the king of the death matches, but his actual best stuff is where he when he puts a sugar hold on somebody's shoulder and punches them in the side of the temple as hard as he can. <laughs> Did you ever work one of those matches with Ian? Did you ever work the let's we're gonna work this seventy five percent on the mat and I'm gonna stretch you, Ian Rotten matches? More or less, yeah. I mean, my first time wrestling him, it would have been April of of '03, and we had separate locker rooms back then. The baby faces were on one side, the heels were on the other side, and that was it. So Ian and I went in there without probably saying without calling almost anything, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I knew the finish and it was something like that. And afterwards he, he gave me the Elks, Elks Lodge speech yeah. uh, <laughs> where he, he put me over saying, you know, I was going to be with like one of the Chris heroes and CM punks and everything, yeah, um, which is, it was awesome to, to, to have someone, you know, believe in you at that point, you know, in, in my career to believe in me and to go, Oh yeah, there, there, there's something here. Um, sometimes I, I look back and I wonder why did anybody, uh, believe in me? And, uh, it was, it's nice. I, I've got, a, I've got a, a very soft place in my heart for, for Ian Rotten. Um, I want to talk a little bit about blood because that's what this podcast and the book is about. Where was, how old were you when you did your first blade job? Cause you are, I think one of the great bleeders of the 21st century in wrestling, right? I, I, I'm going to say that, you know, as far as just the amount of blood you, ble- you, ble- you would bleed each time, you know, I, I, I think it's like a, a, to- a, a sort of almost a, a 21st century Tommy Rich. Whereas if Jimmy Jacobs is going to get collar, it's going to, it's not going to be a little bit. It's not going to be a little on the forehead. It's going to be a ton. What was your first, uh, what was the first, first, how old were you the first time you decided to take a, a razor blade out of a, out of your wrist tape and, scar yourself with it so i really hated biology class in high school and i just didn't want to be in it so one day i was 16 years old and i um i was in the back of the classroom and i used to i used to never like to sit in my chair i've got this like antsy erratic energy i'm walking around the back of the classroom and the teacher's like uh excuse me chris you need to come to your seat and um, I'm walking back to my, to my seat, and John Hillary, one of the kids in the class, has his foot sort of out, and I'm walking past him, and I trip over his foot, and I go down, and I come back up, and I'm just <sighs> crimson mask. And my teacher's like, oh my God, Chris, you're bleeding. I go, am I bleeding? And uh, she gives me some paper towels, and my buddy Vince, who wrote The Ballad of Lacey with me, he was in the class and she's like, Vince, can you take him to the bathroom? And so we go to the bathroom and we're walking down the hallway and I'm, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And then we get in the bathroom and I look around 
nobody's in there. And I just start laughing and I pull the razor blade out of my pocket. And my buddy's like, what? What just happened? I'm like, yeah, I just cut myself to get out of class. Let's, let, <laughs> let's go wander around the school. And that's the first time I bladed. And that's why 16-year-olds shouldn't be professional wrestlers. <laughs> So your first blade job was a biology class. It wasn't yeah. like you didn't say, "Oh yeah, I had this," you know, blowed off this feud with Frankie the Face or something like that in Wisconsin. No, say so what to get out of biology class in sixteen. Yeah, that was the first time. I don't, I don't remember the first match I bladed in. Obviously, it wasn't as memorable as getting out of uh, sixth period biology class. <laughs> That's funny. Where would, where is the, what's the? So we heard the first one. That was great. What's the most? Was there a point where you in a match and you said, oh, man, I overdid it here? Because uh, you were bleeding a lot. And this was a match that, you know, up there with the blade jobs in this book. And there's some, you know, hot, the Hase Mu, famous Hase Muda matches in the book. Eddie Guerrero, JBL is in the book. I've got some ones where people are really, you know, Kira Hoke at the Shinobu Kidori. But you've got ones that are sort of legendary. You're, 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 and this is competitive with that as far as the amount you're bleeding but what was the time where you said to yourself you know what this was this i went too far oh i never thought i went too far okay uh, well maybe in my in my public speaking class in college in 2005 that might have gone too far we had a uh, we had to give a speech uh, a demonstrative speech we have to demonstrate how to do something so I went to the front of the classroom and I took off my shirt and I took off the pants I was wearing and I was in my tights and I started to explain to the class that day um, about pro wrestling and how in pro wrestling we do something called blading. It's to create drama in the match. And I showed them how to make a blade and I, I, I showed and then you, then you uh, poke it into your forehead until you hit the skull and just swipe it like a credit card. And I tried to continue that speech, and I just just started bleeding all over the place. I was bleeding on the floor, and my professor cut my speech short. And I had to, like the, the girls had to take me to the bathroom because it was the closest bathroom. And I was bleeding in the bathroom. Like man, I didn't imagine I was going to get this much color. This girl comes running into the bathroom and starts vomiting because uh, so gross to her. And the um, my professor had to write a letter to the dean of the department uh, in defense of my actions because it was obviously not something that uh, most uh, they're, they're, they're used to. And um, that might have been too far. And that was the second time I bladed during school. Uh, what grade did you get on the report? Do you remember? Uh, Look, it should have been an A. If it wasn't an A, you're doing it all wrong. But I've still got the uh, email that my professor wrote to the dean of the department. And it's like awesome. It's this awesome email where she explains everything that that happens and like defends my actions of saying it's not unusual behavior for Chris. (laughs) That's that's pretty great that he had your back like that. I mean, I can imagine that professor, he had to at least consider tossing you under the bus, right? Especially when the girl puked in the bathroom because they're so disgusted by your behavior. I want to keep asking you specific questions. Like, okay, what what's your what was the longest blade job? Just see how many of these answers are you blading yourself in the middle of school. That, that's it. Those okay. those are my only two two uh, blade job at school stories. Um, the the other the, you know one of the matches where I got like a, a crap ton of color was uh, actually Ryan Boz. I think in a steel cage match in 
in Iowa. There's there's a picture of me and it's just completely red and there's red all down my chest. That one was was a bunch. There's a few ones that have been bad. I remember one time in um, New York, I was working with like the Briscoes and I just remember like just trying over and over and over again to bleed and just like nothing's coming out. And um, so it was a bit of a lottery for me, but I've had some good ones. Um, so this, I'm trying to think, I, I kind of want to keep going just because this has been, but we've gone about an hour. Um, you know, like I just wondered how many more, in, how many more Jimmy Jacobs juvenile delinquent stories can I get out of you? I think that's pretty, uh, so you're, let's say you're, uh, are you like a semi-active, consider yourself a semi-active professional wrestler now? Yeah, look, um. Obviously, I found a niche, uh, niche, niche working behind the scenes uh, as a writer, and I'm, you know, I'm producing TV, and I'm, I'm fairly good at that. I'm more valuable behind the scenes than I am in front of the camera. Um, but I still come out and play when people want me to come out and play. Uh, you know, I wrestled John Moxley again for the first time in over ten years uh, a couple months ago. I bled in that one too. Uh, there's a company, um, uh, GCW, uh, Game Changer Wrestling. There, um, I've got me and Alex Shelley this, this weekend on January 14th. I don't know when this is coming out, but, uh, in just a few days, uh, VXS is a company that, uh, is, is booking me too. So it's basically when people want me to come out and play, I'll come out and play. If they don't, they don't. And I'll work behind the scenes too. I'm not sure. I think this is probably coming out after that, uh, after that match. I'm actually somehow coincidentally doing a mini Age of the Fall series because I've got Necro coming out. The week, oh, so folks can listen to me talk to Necro the week before I'm talking to you probably the week after. But how long had it been since you wrestled Alex Shelley? Because obviously you guys are were were sort of uh, you know married to each other at the beginnings of your career. Yeah. Um, I think we had one in like 2014 for XICW where I had the I Quit match with Zach Gowen. Uh, I think that was my last match with with Shelly, and I think it was a pretty good one. Um, hopefully, this one that has passed now, as you everybody listens to this, hopefully that uh, that goes well. You guys, uh, do you are you? Is he one of the? Who are the people that you keep in touch with? Like, who would you consider your from this era, from this like two thousands indie? Who are the folks that if you you know you call up and, and bullshit about on the phone with every once in a while? Like, is he one of the guys? Like, do you keep it? Are you and Alex still still? Uh, you know, chat or or who would be like your who are your guys? Oh, me, me and me and Shelly talk not that much. I haven't talked to him in a little bit. You know, he came and worked for us for Impact Wrestling for for a little bit. Uh, but we we catch up sometimes. I mean, uh, Kevin Owens is probably the one that I talk to the most. Uh, Sami Zayn, I talk to on a somewhat basis. Uh, but we we catch up on the phone. You know. Seth to a, a bit of a lesser extent, um, you know. Yeah, that's Ke- Kevin's the one. I I talk to him every week at least. Um, and so, do you kind of you? So, do you have anything that you have left on your bucket list? Like you've done. You've been wrestling for for I guess it had to be twenty plus years now, right? I mean, if you started when you were fifteen, uh, you know that had to be nineteen ninety what seven six nine. 99? Yeah. Um, so you've been you've been doing this over 20 years. Is there anything that you want to see yourself in? I wish I, a match, an opponent, uh, an, a, a, a moment that you feel like you still want to check off, or when you look back on your dance card, do you say to yourself, "I had this is a this is a pretty good career." Um, you know, my my regret is that I 
never had like a run on TV with WWE. That's something that would would have been nice, you know, even a nice couple year run. So then I can go back on the indies and you know charge an extra fifty bucks, you know. And they, like to me, even going to WWE was always about you go there so you can get the the notoriety, so then you can leave there. It was always that way to me. So only only because I want to have more indie wrestling. Um, dates probably uh do i wish i had a wb uh you know on-screen career uh other than that man not not really like there are guys that i would have loved to to like work with on tv you know a lot of times people ask you what 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 match would you want to have and there's no match where i go oh yeah look mick foley of course would be like the guy right um, but it's it's more of like what what feud would you want to have? What like story would you want to tell? Like I would love to have had um, you know just me and John Cena with a microphone in the ring. Like that that's something that excites me. But you know none of those things are, are realistically going to happen. And I'm past the point where I would be like willing to do the work to make that happen. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. There's nothing in my career that I go, oh man, I need, to, I need to do this. This is a goal that I need to accomplish in my, in my wrestling career. At this point, it's just, yeah, man, I come out and play when people want me to play. That's where I'm at. So the Alex Shelley match would have happened already, but folks, can GCW is available to see for folks to do that. Do you have any other, uh, any other things you want to plug? If people wanted to get in touch, if a promoter is listening to this podcast and decides that, you know what? I got a lot of fond memories of Jimmy Jacobs. I, I wouldn't mind hitting him up. How, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, I'm currently on Instagram at Jimmy Jacobs X at the moment. Uh, but my website, jimmyjacobs.com, is always available, even if it's not updated. It always has my, uh, my contact information on there for promoters or fans or whatever that want to hit me up. I'm around. Okay. And would you have any, anything else booked outside of the Alex Shelley match coming up? Um, nothing that's announced, I think, at this point. But. Okay. Great. Well, Jimmy, this has been a, a treat. Like I said, I've been a, a fan oh, of, of yours. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I do write Impact Wrestling. Oh, talk I, about I, Impact Wrestling for a, for a access second. TV, access TV, uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time every Thursday. You can see my, my fingerprints on this on this television show. So for whatever that's worth, watch. Okay. And have you, has that been a positive experience for you going to Impact? Because you were in in WWE for a while where how, do you, which one of those do you prefer from like a do you feel like you have a little more creativity with impact i know the thing about oh, people yeah. far, far far more creativity um the, the only places where creativity is limited in impact wrestling really uh is we don't have the resources that WWE does so in WWE if you have a, an idea for this like you know wild you know the festival of friendship or something like that. WB has the production, the resources to sort of pull off these these big grand uh, stunts, and you know that's the trade-off that you know uh, WB is just on a is you know is so cemented in they're they're so established with such infrastructure and resources, you know, and that's something that uh, Impact just isn't on that that high of a stage. Uh, in comparison to WWE, but in most every other aspect of it, I have more creative freedom and impact. Um, I have more fun at impact. I have the freedom to fail at impact at WWE. You just sort of walk around on eggshells and hope Vince doesn't fire you for because he 
thinks you don't understand wrestling or, or, or something. Um, so I've been with Impact now for four years, and it's, it's it's been pretty much a blast. It was a great fit since basically the first day I was there. I was like, great, this feels good. Uh, I, so grateful to be here. Now, now, I don't know if, if this is counter to the – to the to the ethics of, of professional wrestling writing, and if it is, uh, just tell me that it is, and then I'll cut this part of the podcast. But it, what what idea that you've had an impact that you sort of uh, that you would say is a mostly Jimmy Jacobs idea? Are you the most proud of? Like you're the what? Which one of the things is your fingerprints are on that you're like this idea I had? And I, I I really love the way it came out. I mean, look, one of my favorite things I've probably done in my career is uh, the death of Allie. Uh, so the the whole undead realm world was, you know, this world where Sue Young takes these people. You know, it's a, it's a supernatural world. And in one of the uh, undead realm cinematic things we did, uh, it ends with Allie taking a, a, basically a, getting stabbed in the throat and dying. And if you... If you watch the entire story, um, it's it. I always wanted at the, when when I first started the story, I always wanted it to end with Allie dying. I didn't think we would get the chance to do it, but I was like, at the end of the story, she has to she has to sacrifice herself for Rosemary and die. I this is what it has to be, and we did it. And if you watch it on YouTube, I pretty much I love almost all of it. I love the music they play in the background. I love uh, Rosemary and Allie's sort of acting at this point, like Rosemary's crying because that's her real best friend and Allie was leaving to go to AEW and there she is dying and the sad song's playing and Allie hits the line, um, you know, demon, it's okay. I'm whole again. Because she gets her soul back in this in this moment of uh, of sacrificing herself for the good. It's like, yeah, that's the stuff I get excited about. Nice, love it. All right, so everybody should go on YouTube and look up the death of Ali. I I admit, Impact Wrestling is a little bit of a a hole. I don't think I've seen that. I'm going to go watch it now that you've told me about it. I kind of. Uh, it, I, that cinematic stuff is always a bit hit, hit to hit or miss to me, but done well, like anything done well, it can be done well. Yeah, look, the the whole I'm not saying the whole that whole cinematic thing was the best. It had it had moments to it. It had some moments to it. Uh, nice little cameo in there. Uh, if you watch, you'll see. Uh, but it's that that end that to me that end is emotional, and it always kind of chokes me up when when the music's playing and it's okay. I'm whole again. And then she disappears. <laughs> awesome. Jimmy, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Way of the Blood.